Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey there, plant people, garden friends. Thank you for joining me today. I am... So thrilled that it is finally springtime in Central Texas, my favorite time of year, and everything is popping back to life. New green growth everywhere. We've got just blossoms all over the place, especially Texas wildflowers. They say that our spring Texas wildflower season peaks in April, and here we are at the tail end of March, and I think it looks pretty spectacular already. The experts were predicting a great wildflower season, and that seems to be true. We got a bit of rain last week and some cooler temperatures too, and I think that gave the blue bonnets just a little extra boost or something because there are so many of them now, and they look amazing. And there are just... So many other things that have started to bloom, and it's wonderful, and I am re-energized after a long, boring winter. I love springtime in Central Texas. Um, Other plant people do too, and I met a lot of people um, when I spent part of Saturday hanging out at the Taylor Public Library. I was invited to join the Friends of the Library for their second annual plant swap, um, just to, you know, hang out and be a resource for anyone with plant or gardening questions. Uh, Last year was their first year for hosting the plant swap, and it was a nice success, so they decided to do it again. I think it's going to be an annual thing. So last year, um, actually, was the first time that I had been to a plant swap, so I didn't know what to expect, but it was pretty neat. People um, coming and bringing all sorts of plants to trade and share with others. People bring all sorts of plants to a plant swap. Um, Houseplants, bedding plants, seedlings, uh, root divisions, Um, rooted cuttings, fresh cuttings, and seeds all to share with other plant people. It's a pretty awesome way to get plants that you can't find easily um, and get some cuttings and seedings for basically free. All you have to do is like trade plants. Um, Plant people are usually pretty cool and many of them are really generous with their extra plants and knowledge it's it's a really really great way to you know as you're out cleaning up your your beds and you have extra plants um and you know you they're they're nice plants they're just kind of maybe too many of them like um some of the uh, plants that need to be divided so you know Bringing them to a plant swap um, is a great way to get those plants into hands of people that will appreciate them. 
since I was there for the entire event and I stayed um, up until the end, I felt like really lucky because I was able to take home some um, extra plants that didn't have homes. Um, Nobody had claimed them. And I was so glad that some of the plants that were left were spiderworts because I have been wanting spiderworts for years, years. Um, it's not a plant that you see out for sale in nurseries. I guess it's just, um, you know, not really propagated for the commercial retail market. Um, I don't know. I suppose somebody decided that it wasn't marketable enough, but anyway, spiderworts are a great spring flower and it's been popping up all over Taylor. Um, to me, it's bit of an old-fashioned type flower and I think I probably associate that um, because it's quite common in the older neighborhoods around Taylor. It has um, an unusual growing habit. It grows in thick clumps. It has strappy grassy looking leaves and unique flower stems that are tall and kind of bulky. They, They look like thick straws. Spiderwort flowers can be white, pink, purple, or bright blue. They are very prolific bloomers all through the spring, um, but they do give it up when um, it gets hot. They have simple, sweet little flowers that have three petals and six anthers in the center. Spiderworts bloom in the early morning Um, During the afternoon, the flowers usually close up in the heat, but on cool, cloudy days, um, they can remain open all day long. Each flower only lasts for a day, but each spiderwort, of course, has several flowers. They grow to be about 18 to 24 inches tall, and they tolerate full sun, but just like pretty much everything, um, they prefer afternoon shade. They are tough little plants and they grow well in most soil types. I have even seen them growing um, in cracks in the sidewalks, but they do pretty well in our black clay soil that we have here in our part of central Texas and eastern Williamson County. Spiderworts are easy to propagate from root divisions and stem cuttings, but they also reseed. And like I said, I've been wanting these for years. I see them in other people's yard and think, oh, wow, they're so lucky. And lucky for me, and thanks to the plant swap, my yard it will have some too. plant swap was set up just outside the library. They had some tables set up in a circle and, you know, you could have different areas of what types of plants were which. They had an area for um, shade plants, house plants, full sun, herbs, vegetables. Um, it was just a really great day to have an outdoor event. It was the perfect temperature and it was so beautiful and sunny, but... As soon as I got there and saw the organizer and all the volunteers were wearing sunglasses and big sun hats, I was like, 
Yeah, I do not even think about sunscreen or sunglasses, much less a hat. So I tried to be a little strategic and find a table that had some, that was under some shade, but there wasn't really one in the total shade. So I ended up getting a bit too much sun, especially on one arm. Um, and it's still quite toasty. I can feel the heat coming off of it. And I do feel pretty stupid about it. Um, because I do this every single year, every spring, I, I get a sunburn. Um, I forget that the sun here in central Texas is intense, even if it's not summertime and it's a billion degrees with the days getting longer now that it's spring, um, the sun is also higher in the sky. The, these more direct rays give off stronger sunlight because of the angle of the sun is changing. Scientists have done all kinds of studies and, you know, um, studying the sun and the earth and that relationship, and they track, track it and have found at different times of the day, and they measure the angle and they compare it to the different times of the year. In the winter, the sun's angle is at its lowest. It sits about 36 degrees. In the summer, the angle reaches its highest point at 82 degrees. But on the um, first day of spring, which we just had, the sun's angle is pretty much 60 degrees. And that's almost double what it is in winter. So this is why the sun feels more intense now than even the sunniest days in winter. The higher the sun is in the sky, the more intense the sun's rays are. And the stronger the sun, the more potential damage you can do to your skin. And I sure regret forgetting the sunscreen. My arm is lobster red and um, just the one arm. So I know I look kind of stupid too. And I was dumb for forgetting the sunscreen. And now I look dumb with one bright red arm. And it's like my annual lesson, um, that first sunburn of the year. And I will not be forgetting sunscreen um, this spring and summer because sunburn is miserable and it can be really bad and it's really bad for you. And it's completely preventable. Wear your SPF. Lucky for me, I did get to aloe vera plants at the plant swap, and it was a great reminder that I could take a bit of aloe and put it on my hot, burnt arm skin. Now, these little aloe pups that I got at the plant swap are too stressed to um, be used for my sunburn this time. Um, and that's because neither of them were rooted in soil. Um, one was in a jar of water um, being rooted. And um, the other one was just a small plantlet that was removed from the mother plant that morning. So I didn't really want to cut a leaf from either of these plants. Um, 
you know, I need to get them potted and let them grow before I harvest any leaves from them. But um, I do have a couple of aloe veras that I've been keeping in the house. Um, these were also shared plants that were given to me by a friend. So thank you, Carla. I'm going to use your aloe on my arm. Aloe vera is a medicinal plant that has been used for thousands of years to treat different ailments, mainly for treating um, skin issues, but also to um, treat digestive issues. Aloe is really popular in over-the-counter skin products because the gel that's inside the leaves um, is used for topical applications to treat all sorts of skin issues like burns, sunburns, wounds, rashes, psoriasis, dry skin, and even frostbite. The aloe gel that we buy in the store, um, in that's in like creams and lotions and sprays, is very processed. And they contain ingredients to make that gel shelf-stable and safe to use. They, they, um, they do this because um, they process it and they end up using aloe leaf juice to make the products. To make the gel that you can buy, like in the little bottles, they combine aloe leaf juice with other ingredients to turn the juice into a gel and they use just cosmetic chemicals. The juice combined with uh, certain ingredients, um, it causes like a chemical reaction and it forms a product that is clear and semi-solid. Um, companies also add preservatives to their formulas to prevent pathogens from growing inside your little squeezy bottle of aloe vera gel. Um, I guess that kind of sounds a little scary and definitely unnatural. Um, it's really not um, scary, but you know, overly processed, especially when you consider that you can pick an aloe leaf from your plant and use that. Aloe vera is a cactus-like succulent um, that grows in hot, dry climates. It grows all over the world um, in subtropical climates, including Arizona, New Mexico, California, and of course, Texas. Aloe veras um, originate from the Arabian Peninsula um, in the Middle East, which is, uh, their climate is arid to semi-arid. Aloe veras are evergreen perennials, and they are tough and hardy plants that grow well um, all through zones 8 through 11, so zones 8, 9, 10, and 11. Here in Taylor, in our part of Central Texas, we are in zone 8B, so we can absolutely grow aloe in our gardens, but aloe vera are cold tender, and they will freeze and turn to mush and die when temperatures get below freezing. Aloe veras are really tough. They grow in poor soil and in hot, sunny, dry locations. 
but they do need to be in well-draining soil because their roots absolutely do not like to sit in soggy soil and they are very prone to root rot. Since we do get several freezes over the winter and we have heavy clay soil, it's a better idea to plant aloe vera in a pot or in a raised bed so that they can get adequate drainage. If you plant aloe in a pot, um, it's really easy to move it inside or to a shelter during the winter so you can avoid freezing. To plant aloe vera, you can use a potting mix for succulents, but really any potting soil will do. You just need to mix it with sand. About half sand to half potting soil is perfect for aloe veras. I tell people all the time that it's really hard to overdo compost and mulch, but with aloe veras, they don't care for either because they can absorb and retain moisture um, more than um, what aloes really want. And overwatering aloes is a big problem. Um, and they let you know when they get too much water because the leaves will start to turn yellow and you might have a drainage problem. Aloes produce pups or little plantlets. They emerge at the base of the mother plant, and these little plants can fill a pot quickly, and um, it can get overcrowded. Once they become fully mature, they really start putting out little um, little babies. And as these um, come up, you know, all you have to do is just dig them up, pluck them out, and give them away. Aloe veras are so easy to take care of and you can keep them inside and it's really not hard to find new homes for them. If you have ever grown aloe veras before um, but have kept them exclusively as houseplants, then you may have never seen them bloom. Um, inside, it takes three to four years for aloe vera to fully mature. Outside, they'll grow a bit faster, but don't expect to see flower spikes or pups until they are fully mature. Aloe veras send out spikes that have yellow or orange tube-like flowers, um, and they only bloom um, once, sometimes twice, during the uh, growing season. Pollinators that have long tongues, like butterflies, moths, and hummingbirds, they really like aloe flowers. There are more than 400 species of aloe, but not all of them have the medicinal properties of aloe vera. Only three or four species are used for their healing gel. Two of the most accessible varieties that we grow at home um, to use for their gel are aloe vera barbadensis miller, uh, aloe vera barbadensis miller, and aloe vera chinesis. Both of these can be harvested for their gel, but only aloe vera barbadensis miller is edible. The edible varieties produce yellow flowers, and the non-edible aloe has orange flowers. If you want to learn more about eating aloe, please go learn about the differences, because you don't want to eat the wrong kind. The in 
edible variety causes digestive issues because it contains compounds that act like a laxative. Um, these two types are very similar looking, um, but there are some subtle differences that you can um, identify if you're wanting to grow aloe to eat or drink. The aloe is very refreshing and is popular to drink, but make sure you learn about them because you don't want to um, have the wrong one and spend your time in the bathroom. <laughs> if you want to use um, aloe leaf gel topically, that's cool because it's great for sunburn and it's really easy to use. Um, you don't have to use a, a whole lot of prep to do it. You don't have to process it down. Um, you just cut a leaf from the base of your aloe plant give it a quick rinse and then peel the outer green layer away. Or, you know, if it's a small narrow leaf, you can just slice it down the middle and from there you can scoop out the um, inner gel from the outer leaf and you can use that right on your skin. But if you have sensitivity to latex, you may not want to use fresh aloe because fresh aloe contains alloin, a, um, a compound called alloin, A-L-O-I-N. It's a bitter fluid and it's also called aloe latex. So if you're sensitive to latex, just you know, buy a bottle of aloe vera gel at the store. That aloe has been processed to remove the alloin. Spring in Central Texas is here. And if you're interested in growing some of your own produce, or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees. So come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you're enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Head over to Amazon or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, Download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. Not only do reviews make me feel good, but it also helps others find the show. And downloading Plan Hose episodes helps provide me with meaningful statistics. Well, now that we are in late March, almost April, temperatures are going to slowly and steadily increase. With the warmer temperatures, we can plant a whole lot of things in our gardens. We can plant 
green beans, beets, cantaloupe, corn, cucumbers, pumpkins, radishes, squash, and we can also start watermelons all from seeds. It's a great time to put out tomato, pepper, and eggplant transplants. And of course, it's a great time of the year to transplant any veggies that you find at the nurseries. Now that we're at the end of March and we have cleared the last average frost date, you can also start annual flowers from seeds. Um, Things like zinnias in Cosmos, morning glories, marigolds, and sunflowers all can be planted now. Temperatures are agreeable and we can plant all kinds of things in our garden. So get out and enjoy this time of year in your gardens. Also, visit local independent nurseries and get to know them. If you are looking for something in particular, you know, find out when they expect deliveries and be sure to go and buy your plants as soon as you can after they receive their deliveries. You'll get the best selection and also your choice of the best looking plants, all while supporting local business. Thanks to that cold, gross weather we had earlier this month, I still haven't started my squash or cucumbers, and I'm thinking I should just go ahead and plant the seeds in the beds where I want them to be instead of starting them in pots. I really like to start them in pots or seed trays because I can keep a closer, I can keep them closer to my house and also keep an eye on them. Plus, I like watching the whole growth process because I get excited when the first sprouts start poking through the soil and seeing the first sets of true leaves unfurl. Plus, I like to be able to um, pull the trays in and out of the sun. You know, April in Central Texas is great. Um, The average highs hover around 80 degrees and, you know, lows in the 50s. It's so great, but those are averages, and it's really not unusual for us to get a really warm day every now and then, you know, I mean, up over 85 into the 90s, and we've already had at least one day this year that it got close to 90, so with the temperatures being like this, um, I like to keep an eye on the baby plants as best that I can. So I think I'm going to go ahead and direct sow some seeds out in the garden, Uh, maybe not as many as I normally would. Um, That way I can start some seeds in trays. Cucumbers are our favorites. My kids love them. And I can always um, transplant them later. So I'm thinking it's kind of a win. I have a whole bunch of baby tomatoes and peppers that I start from seeds that I need to plant in my beds. I need to do that today, I think, um, because I am a little behind thanks to that cold front that came through and made me not want to trust the weather, so I didn't plant them when I really wanted to. I'm behind, but really, what's new? As far as planting goes, as soon as your beds are ready, just start planting. 
most of your vegetables, um, you know, either direct sowing the seeds or transplants. Now, you'll want to use transplants of peppers and tomatoes if you want to ensure that you get flowers and fruits before the worst heat of the summer. For tomato transplants, here's a good tip. If you want a nice, strong root system, you need to plant your little baby seedlings pretty deep. And those transplants that you get at the store should have several sets of leaves on them. And you just pinch off those lower sets of leaves. Then dig a hole. You're going to leave like the top set of leaves, the very top set of leaves. Dig a hole um, as deep as the root ball plus the stem up to the upper set of leaves. So... If the, so you, you know, just look at the entire plant from the, the base of the root ball to the top of the upper leaves. Um, it seems kind of weird to do, to plant them that deeply. It does not feel right to do that. Um, but all those fuzzy hairs along the stem on your tomato plants all of those have the potential to become roots. So if you bury the root ball and most of the stem of your tomato plant, um, they will form roots all along the stem up underground. And you'll have a really nice root system that is going to support the upper parts of your tomato plant. Tomatoes are really big plants, so having a nice strong root system is a great benefit as we move into the heat of the summer. You know, um, it wasn't too long ago, it was pretty recent, I was working in one of the raised beds, you know, getting it ready for planting, pulling weeds, turning the soil. Um, it was one of the beds that I had trouble with squash vine borers in the past. And sure enough, as I was digging around, I found three dark brown, darkish reddish orange cocoons and I was like Ugh, great because I knew exactly what they were they were squash vine borer cocoons <sighs> um, these are an inch long three quarters of an inch torpedo shaped brown capsules little cocoons and it's so annoying because Squash vine borers are awful. Squash vine borers overwinter just below the surface, um, like an inch or two beneath the soil. They um, are stimulated by the warmer temperatures, and they come out of their cocoons as full-grown moths. And since they are located in your beds, that's where they're going to want to primarily live. Squash vine borers are orange and black moths, but they, um, they're shaped more like a bee or a wasp. They don't have that typical moth-shaped wings that um, are like butterfly-shaped. Squash vine borers, they are excellent pollinators, and they are really attracted to yellow squash flowers, but they're jerks, and they lay their eggs on the squash vines. Um, their eggs kind of look like tiny rust brown poppy seeds, and you know they hatch and they grow, and then the 
caterpillars, the larvae, they um, eat into the vines, and that's where they live, and that's what is what causes um, problems. It's that damage, and your squash plants suffer, and you don't get squash. And, you know, I'm going to talk about um, these guys on a future show, but I wanted to mention them now in case you find those cocoons while you're out in your gardens and getting ready to plant. If you do find some, um, you probably should not plant squash in that bed. Um, And you definitely want to crush any squash vine cocoons that you find. And it's gross and disgusting, and I don't like doing it. But I also don't like squash vine borers decimating my squash either. So I either crush them like between a brick and a rock or on a hard surface and just step on them. Really, it doesn't matter how you do it. Um, You know, put them in a cup, collect them, take them to your driveway, put them under your tire and run over them. It does not matter. Just crush them, destroy them if you do not want squash vine borers in your garden once they find your plants it's a battle and it's an obsessive battle and if you are so inclined uh, you can learn more about squash vine borers from an older episode Uh, go check out episode 20 of the Pano's podcast Um, it's from um, May 23 third of 2021 um all kinds of info about squash vine borers and my insane (laughs) attempts to control them um plus it's a good episode um where i talk about um the basics and benefits of composting go check out that episode episode 20 all right well thank you for joining me today have a fantastic week and please Remember your sunscreen. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.